Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 2, Episode 9, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm Joe. I'm making Christmas. I'm Mitz. And I am Steve. If you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie, whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creator's intent, audience reception, and the content of the media all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take, that's awesome. If you don't, that's awesome too. Horror is a diverse genre and all are welcome. And uh, as you may know from listening to our last episode, we're going to take a slightly different direction with this episode, not only discussing whether or not the movie can be considered horror, but uh, it is our Christmas episode. And so we are also going to be discussing whether or not this movie is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie. So hopefully you will enjoy listening to that debate. My guess is you've probably had it yourself at least once if you're listening us, listening to us. And uh, before we get all into the nitty gritty of that, we're going to go to Joe's Get to Know You Corner. Joe? Welcome to the corner. Uh, today, we I had two questions. Cause I had one question and then uh, Matt suggested something that I thought was a good question too. So my first question is... What song from a kid's movie gets stuck in your head a lot? And I thought about this because um, one of them for me is uh, Making Christmas from this um, movie. I don't, I'm not one who watches this movie a ton. I've seen it plenty, but yeah, whenever I hear this, that that song, I it just gets stuck in my head for a long time. That's why that's the question. And then the other question is what movie uh, TV show or other media did your parents forbid you to watch? And um, I'll go ahead and get us started. Um, so I already mentioned that this uh, that making Christmas gets stuck in my head. The other thing that's been getting stuck in my head a lot lately from a kid's movie is several songs from Encanto. We don't talk about Bruno, obviously, and then uh, surface uh, surface pressure. Uh, so yeah, those are both really fun songs um that get stuck in my head um for the uh what movie tv show or other media did your uh, parents forbid you from watching so we've probably mentioned this before but like i i feel like almost everybody who grew up around the same time i was growing up uh it seems like everybody has the same experience where their parents forbid them from watching the simpsons um so that that was a big one for me. But the other funny part about that is that like everybody who ever said that watched it anyways as well. <laughs> the other one for me was uh, The Mask. And that was one we had the like VHS of The Mask. And it was around our household for a while. And we watched it a few times. And I think my mom just like really didn't like it for one reason or another. She never really brought it up. But one day I found it in the trash can <laughs> and I was like, it was one of those, like, look in the trash can, see the VHS, like look left, look right. And then like pull it out and go put it back with all the other movies and hope nobody noticed. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was mine. That's funny. <laughs> so for me, uh, I think the last one that really stuck in my head was, pro well, 
all of the kids, because I have kids, so all the kids' movies get stuck in my head, all those songs, uh, like Moana and Encanto and all that stuff. But I think the one that probably was the most stuck in my head was uh, the song from Moana, like the kind of titular song uh, where she's saying, I am staring at the edge of the water, that song. <laughs> that one was like, in I think the one that stuck the most with our family for a long time. Uh, so that was that one. And the reason that I brought up the question about what sort of movie media TV was banned or prohibited by your parents and your house growing up was for some reason I, our parents wouldn't let me, I don't know if it was also my brother, but wouldn't let me watch this movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas. It was like they didn't want me to watch it for some reason. And then I know we also had The Simpsons ban for a little bit in our house and for like a little while our our parents were like very conservative religious Mormons and uh, they tried for a little while to have us never watch any TV or movies on Sundays too. And that definitely didn't work or last for very long. So all those things. I have, I guess my answers are pretty boring because I was actually going to say the songs from Encanto also, uh, especially surface pressure. That one I sing all the time. And my parents were pretty, actually really liberal when it came to, like, letting us watch stuff. I don't think they banned us from watching really anything. I mean, we would sit around and watch The Simpsons together, like, as a kid, even though I had no idea what the jokes were actually about. Um, we watched Family Guy, Futurama, King of the Hill. I don't know. Nice. I guess my parents just really didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I was never banned from watching anything. The only thing I can think of is that my sister had a really bad reaction to watching CSI one time, which, you know, makes sense because she was like five. So we weren't allowed to stay up and watch CSI anymore. That's funny. Matt kind of already said a lot of what we weren't allowed to watch. I guess the only thing that I would kind of add to it as far as the Simpsons goes, yeah, I remember them saying that, and I think it's the sort of thing that happens all the time, and it's probably going to be repeated as long as there's videos for kids to watch. If you, as a parent, want your kids to watch something, the first thing you should do is tell them they shouldn't watch it, and that they can't watch it, because that's pretty much going to ensure that they watch it. So if you have something as a parent that you're like, I need my kids to see this, ban them from ever seeing it, make it as hard as possible for them to see it, and that will ensure that they do so. <laughs> Very true. So, I don't know, that's the thing I always think is funny about that. And then as far as uh, kids' movie songs that get stuck in my head, I think that I don't end up seeing a lot of the more recent animated movies that come out. You know, I don't have any kids myself. And, I, you know, I have nieces and nephews, but when I go and spend time with them, we don't end up watching a lot of kids' movies necessarily. They're the ones that I see the most often are a lot more into, like, superhero stuff. So it's more talking about Marvel movies and things like that. But any of the songs from Aladdin end up getting stuck in my head just randomly from, oh, this reminded me of a Aladdin song, and then that one will go through my head. So like, uh, you know, the magic carpet ride one, that'll get stuck in my head. And then as 
anyone who's spent much time with me knows I am a fan of making up random lyrics for songs that already exist, so I've probably sung lots of things to the tune of that song as well. Can confirm. <laughs> cool. Well, that was great. Great answers, everybody. Thanks for joining me on In the Corner. And now we're going to head slightly to the left to the center of the room, which in this scenario, I picture the corner being to the right of us. So on we go. So as you already know, because you clicked on this episode, we are covering The Nightmare Before Christmas from 1993. And there is a lot of interesting behind the scenes factors with this film. I didn't want to delve too deep into it because that's not exactly what we're doing here with this episode, but I thought it was worth at least bringing up some of those things, so I will bring up a few quotes here and there as that goes on. Uh, as far as the creative team and process goes behind this, everyone knows it as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. If you've listened to our Coraline episode, you already know that Tim Burton did not direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. But the story, as far as that goes, was developed by Tim Burton, Back in about 82, when he was working for Disney, he wrote a poem called also The Nightmare Before Christmas that at least fleshed out the general outline of what the story is. If you're not familiar with Tim Burton, then of course you would know uh, other movies of his like Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Sleepy Hollow, Big Fish, and just there's, there's so many things. You know, I'm not entirely clear on this, and you guys can all go ahead and You'd think I would have researched this ahead of time. I know he was involved with the Wednesday series on Netflix, but I'm not sure of what capacity. Was he showrunner, director? Does anyone know? Oh, good question. I'm not sure. All right. I decided to go ahead and look that up so that I could not look silly involving it. And uh, he is one of the executive producers on it. So there's that. Okay. Well, anyway, back back to it, back, back, back upstairs. It's a Rick and Morty <laughs> quote for you. Okay, so, uh, yeah, he wrote the poem called The Nightmare Before Christmas, and uh, at least is somewhat riffing off The Night Before Christmas. And then he brought it to Disney, who he worked for at the time. They didn't want to make it, and uh, but they held on to it, so they had the rights to it. And he also, at that time, working at Disney, worked with Henry Selleck, and they shared similar aesthetic as far as uh, their visual acumen goes and you know what visuals they enjoyed and kind of the things they found interesting. And so they were friends. And then flash forward, you know, almost a decade, and Tim Burton's star was rising and he'd had quite a few hits. And Disney was sitting there like, we own this thing that he wrote. Maybe we should do something with this. And Tim Burton also still wanted to do something with The Nightmare Before Christmas and basically comes to him and was kind of like, can I buy the rights back to that so I can make this movie at some point? And they were like, we like money. How about we keep the rights, but we, you know, help you make this movie. So he chooses to go along with that, but he is in the middle of doing Batman Returns. And uh, I think at least one other movie at the same time, which escapes me at the moment. But uh, so he turns it over to Henry Selleck. And so Henry Selleck, as we already mentioned, he did Coraline, James and the Giant Peach, uh, Monkey Bone, which I haven't seen, and then more recently, if you're listening to this as it releases, Wendell and Wild on Netflix, which I haven't seen yet, but I think has been getting some good reviews. I think he worked with Jordan Peele on that one, so that ought to be pretty good. Uh, but of course, everyone's always thought that it's Tim Burton 
who directed it because Disney was happy to slap his name on the beginning of it and call it Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And they certainly did their best to obscure the fact that it wasn't him directing it. In a recent AV Club interview, Henry Selleck had said, That was a little unfair because it wasn't called Tim Burton's Nightmare until three weeks before the film came out. And I would have been fine with that if that's what I'd signed up for. But Tim was in LA making two features while I directed that film. And I mean, Tim is a genius, or he certainly was in his most creative years. I always thought his story was perfect and he designed the main characters. But it was really me and my team of people who brought that to life. Now, of course, if you ask Danny Elfman, well, that's his movie. When we finished the film, it was so funny because he came up to me and shook my hand. Henry, you've done a wonderful job illustrating my songs. And he was serious, and I loved it. Fine, but my thing was I'm going to hang in there long enough to where people actually say, oh, that guy Henry, he does stuff. So it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but of course he's not getting much of the credit that he deserves, and there's a lot of people that really love this movie that don't realize it. So anyway, they had a poem, they had a director, they didn't have a script. So they hired Michael McDowell, who had worked previously with Tim Burton on Beetlejuice. Uh, Michael McDowell also wrote Thinner and Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and he actually he also passed away a few years back now. But uh, he did not do so great at delivering a script on this particular movie. So they still had no script, but they had to get all this pre-production done, and they were getting all of that done, but they needed to figure out what they had to start filming. So Tim Burton would go and meet with Danny Elfman, and uh, he would discuss with him what was basically happening in the story. Danny Elfman would get inspired, and he would go ahead and start writing the music. Now, Danny Elfman, you probably know from all of his score work on Batman. He did March of the Dead for Army of Darkness. He did the Simpsons theme, which we've mentioned, the Wednesday theme most recently. He did a bunch of the music for Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. And before he started scoring films, in fact, just barely before doing this film, he was the lead frontman for Oingo Boingo, the band. And he was looking to get out of that and then suddenly sort of fell into doing scores for films, which is what everyone knows him for nowadays. So he would write a song, and then they would go film that song, and uh, and then they'd come back to him and they still didn't have a script. So then we bring in the next person who worked on this film and can claim a writer's credit, which is the writer of the screenplay, Carolyn Thompson. Danny Elfman was living at the time with Carolyn Thompson, who was also his girlfriend at the time. So he was writing all these songs, and she herself was an accomplished screenwriter and a novelist. She had actually worked previously with Tim Burton on Edward Scissorhands. And uh, other things you'd know her for is she wrote The Addams Family and Black Beauty and Corpse Bride. And so, as a quote from her describes it in terms of Michael McDowell's script that he had been working on, she said, When it was time to turn in the script, Michael McDowell, who had a serious drug problem, I guess snorted his salary and didn't write, and he delivered nothing. He just took Danny's lyrics and reformatted them as if they were a screenplay, and that's all he turned in. So she basically wrote in what happens between songs. So in some ways, Danny Elfman and Carolyn Thompson's Thompson together really wrote this movie for what it is. Him sort of really identifying with Jack Skellington and his wanting a change in his life and Carolyn Thompson sort of identifying and fleshing out the character of Sally who was a little more than a picture previous to this 
and giving her kind of this more complicated backstory of trying to help a loved one who has lost their way and trying to find themselves in this life, which is basically, she's basically a stand-in for who Sally was uh, in her relationship with Danny Elfman, and Danny's a stand-in for Jack Skellington, at least to hear them tell it, that really seems to be the case. Anyway, I have talked a long time, and there is so much I am skipping over. You should definitely check out any more background information on the making of this movie. I will give a back-of-the-box description and then shut up. So, (laughs) the movie, uh, the the back-of-the-box description is, Can Christmas Be Saved? Bored with the same old scare and scream routine, Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King of Halloween Town, longs to spread the joy of Christmas, but his merry missions put Santa in jeopardy and creates a nightmare for good little boys and girls everywhere. Huge spoiler warning. Just plan on the whole movie being spoiled. If you haven't seen it yet, maybe pause, go check it out and come back, uh, unless, you know, you're into that kind of thing, and that's what you like to do is have it spoiled, so enjoy that. So, away we go. What makes a movie a Christmas or Halloween movie? We talked a little bit about this last year. I've got some notes that I can share as far as some of the conclusions we came to. But I guess where does everybody sit on that? What makes a movie a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Well, I I do think a lot about our conversations about um, Die Hard. And uh, just, you know, you wouldn't... Just from content, it doesn't really doesn't really get there but we collectively as a culture decide that that it is one because we watch it around there and it brings people together for the holidays and i think that's an important part of it so i don't know i think there's a a lot of merit to that idea i think one of the things that we discussed last year with die hard and is it christmas was sort of uh, how holiday movies tend to have some sort of overarching message uh, of like family and love and togetherness. And I think that The Nightmare Before Christmas definitely does do that. And I also would say that that typically wouldn't be a theme in Halloween movies that I would like say is a baseline theme across many Halloween movies. I think that's definitely more in the range of Christmas movies. Um, something I find interesting that I was just thinking about, which this theory doesn't fit with Die Hard or Gremlins, which are two movies that we've covered, but I feel like Halloween movies are generally just horror movies that might be set on Halloween. But Christmas movies are about Christmas, you know what I mean? Like, Halloween movies aren't necessarily about the holiday. But Christmas movies are. Except for Die Hard. Which is why it's so debatable. As I say, yeah, I really can't think of any Halloween movie, even like a children's Halloween movie, that doesn't at its core have some sort of like frightening aspect to it or like it's about a monster or about scary storytelling or something like that it's almost like soft core horror yeah i can't think of many because i i did watch a bunch of sort of children's halloween slash horror movies with my kids over october and yeah i think you may be on to something with that 
Because I definitely think at least, um, I guess I'll make note here up front, listening to some of our Die Hard episode last year, I think some of the things we hit on is that at least for something to be a Christmas movie, that the season has to be a major part of the theme of the film in such a way that you couldn't really remove the holiday and still have the movie be intact. And then imagery associated with the holiday has to be present throughout it, or at least things that um, we accept as part of the traditions of that holiday. And then the final thing really being part of the movie happens on that holiday. And I think that that's probably all of those things are somewhat true for Halloween films, because you have plenty of horror movies, but I wouldn't consider all horror movies Halloween movies. I think some of them really dig into the traditions and the feel of Halloween. You get movies like, obviously, some of, but not all of the Halloween movies featuring Michael Myers, and then, you know, movies like Trick or Treat, or um, in, at least in my mind, movies like The Guest, which I guess someday we ought to have an episode on whether or not that is horror, but ones that actually take place on Halloween and at least have that as somewhat part of the plot. I feel like that's at least some of what you need for it to qualify, but it is a little bit harder to pin down than whether or not something's a Christmas movie. I can agree with that. And for the record, uh, this one does take place during, like maybe the very first scene is the, the very first scene is the day after Halloween. So none of this movie takes place on Halloween. I actually, I've, I've got the numbers, I guess, down below. But as far as I understood it, the first section takes place on Halloween night. Isn't it like their triumphant return of saying, oh, we did it. We had another great Halloween night. But it is that night that they come back. I guess right? so, yeah. So like maybe just a couple hours of the scheme of the movie are on Halloween night. But uh, I actually dissected it as far as the amount of time that each devoted to each holiday, like what part of the movie takes place on each holiday. But we will get there, I promise you. So, but uh, we can debate because maybe I've got my ideas a little bit wrong as far as when they take place. But before we get too deep into this, um, now obviously what's, you can say both but for these purposes for the initial question is the nightmare before christmas a christmas movie or a halloween movie if you had to pick one of those two and then after you've said your piece if you feel like the answer is really both feel free to say so but gun to your head you have to pick one which one do you say Uh, so for me uh i guess it's it falls more on the halloween side so, gun to my head, have to pick one, I'm saying Halloween. I I think it's Christmas more than Halloween. I also say it's both, but I would say primarily Christmas, because it's about Christmas. I started out with that same thought that it was Christmas, but I changed my mind while I was researching, so I'm just going to say... Gun in my head, it's a Halloween movie if I have to pick one of the two. All that being said, if I have the option of both, I would say both. And it sounds like that's where everybody's at. Everyone would choose both. I guess, Matt, I don't recall if you specifically said that as well. Yeah, I'd say both. 
I think we're going to discuss we're going to dis- discuss extenuating circumstances around the production and making of the film that I think maybe end up pushing it more towards being a Halloween film, but what I actually see on the screen I think is more Christmas. But yeah, I think it can definitely be both. Okay. All right, and then uh, let's get into the intense side of it. So as far as quotes from the production, uh, Henry Selleck at Colorado's Telluride Horror Show was asked, is this a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? To which he answered, it's a Halloween movie. And then Danny Elfman during a USA Today interview said, obviously it's about Christmas, but for me, it's a Halloween movie. Growing up, Halloween was my favorite night of the year, and Christmas was a troublesome time. Into my adult years, it was a time where a bit of a dark cloud would follow me around, probably carrying over my childhood until I had my own kids. And then I developed a new, brighter view of Christmas. I also felt very close to Jack Skellington's plight, because I knew what it was like to be the king of my own little world, and to want out of that world and want something else. So I felt very close to the holiday of Halloween, but also very close to Jack and what he was going through. And then I guess just I will add is that I, again, I think that that's in reference, as I understand it anyway, to his time being the front man of a rock band and wanting to switch to something else, and that this movie coming right at that transitional period for him. Tim Burton had said of the film, I grew up liking those stories like, you know, every Christmas you'd watch things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or like The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Those were my favorite holiday specials when I was growing up. So when I was working at Disney, I designed something that's sort of like the reverse of that. It's like the Grinch in reverse, so to speak, about this character who finds Christmas and loves it and decides to try to do it himself. As far as the studio goes... Uh, They chose to release this movie in October of 1993, and also if you look at the official poster, it's Jack standing over a pumpkin patch full of jack-o'-lanterns, and while it does say Christmas, obviously on the poster as part of the title, there's no Christmas iconography anywhere on the poster itself. All right, so the question was, Tim Burton's inspiration seems to be more Christmas-focused, but Danny Elfman and Henry Selleck both feel convinced it's Halloween. Which of their quotes do you find more convincing i guess we'll say i guess i feel i i don't know i'm especially i mean henry selix is pretty uh you know there's not a lot of content to it danny elfman's and tim burton seem a little more substance substantive danny elfman seems to be saying more halloween tim burton seems to be saying more christmas it's hard to balance those scales i guess i um I don't know. Maybe I'd feel differently if I'd read Tim Burton's original poem. I guess I maybe end up putting a little more weight on Danny Elfman's just because it feels like he had more actual involvement in the movie, um, writing all the music and that kind of thing. So I don't know. I guess for me, maybe I put just a little more weight on his comments. Yeah, I don't I don't think uh, one of them really is more valid than the other. As far as that goes, uh, I, I think we've talked in the past about how the intent of the filmmaker plays a role in how it's categorized, but I also think how the audience receives it definitely plays a role. Uh, if you just take a look at Return to Oz, uh, I think they didn't really intend for that film to be as 
unsettling or creepy to some as it ended up being. Um, so, yeah, I I think that it's definitely going to be a mix of all of their comments and and then what people perceive it as. But, again, I'll say, like, most of this movie is, to me, focused on Christmas. But, hey, that's all. I think it is. I think you're right. Um, I guess why I end up saying Halloween, if I have to pick one, is just because it's like, well, I mean, it's Christmas being invaded by Halloween. So, like, it is Christmas, but it's, like, just such through such a Halloween lens that, uh, it feels more Halloweeny to me, I guess. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess that's just why I say what I say. I think also part of it, too, is that there's so many Christmas movies that it almost becomes a little bit easier to categorize this into the Halloween area because you're thinking... there When you really stop, there's not a lot of Halloween movies that are just made for kids and kids and adults can watch and enjoy together and i can say that from my experience as a parent so like i kind of always watch this one around halloween even though that i believe it's christmas uh just because there's so many other ones that are available during christmas time so it kind of plays a part too i guess do you feel like it also means something where the entire style of the film is influenced in trying to emulate classic Christmas stop motion productions that we've seen. You know, everyone watches, not everyone watches, but you know, lots of people watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer every year and it's got some of that Grinch stole Christmas tone to it. So the fact that it's trying to at least emulate some of those things, do you think that that pushes it more in one direction or the other? So we talked about this with Coraline and how stop motion just feels a little like off kilter and that helps the horror aesthetic. And I think that holds true for me in this one and also Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> like, I, like, yes, that's definitely a Christmas movie, but I always, it still had that weird kind of jerky feel to it that, I mean, I like the movie well enough, but it was never one of my favorites, I think, because of that reason, because it made me feel slightly uncomfortable for that, like, subtly not really thought about reason until later um, when I was like, oh, well, it's because it's stop motion. And that, I don't know, it just feels a little jarring. Yeah, I agree with all those points. And I do think uh, there's obviously there's the movie is a parody to an extent of all those stop motion films like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all that stuff. It's definitely emulating that style. Um, and it does, I think that does push it more towards Christmas for me also. Um, but to that same point, if I'm going to say that it's parody, I think that it could be like the Halloween sort of parody of, that sort of Christmas style claymation stop motion still, uh, you know, I'm arguing in circles with myself, but I still think more 60%, 60% Christmas, 70% Christmas. And then the other side, Halloween. I think if I were to call it a Halloween movie, it would be because of aesthetics alone. I mean, it, like we mentioned, it's stop motion. So it kind of has that like uncanny, appearance to it 
when the characters move and just the character design itself is creepy. It's supposed to be creepy because it's, they're from the Halloween town and the the songs are just a little bit creepy. They're the melody, the, the harmonies are just dissonant. So it's, you know, it's designed to be kind of scary a little bit because they're the Halloween people. But I but I think because the plot is driven by it being Christmas, for me, it's just like a, a gothic Christmas movie. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's jump into the content side of it next. I know I have the outline as a reception next, but let's, let's jump into the content side of it since we're talking about that aspect of it. So I tried to dissect things within the film and look at the way that they're weighted one direction or the other. As far as the actual songs that are sung in the movie, as this is a musical, there are three of the songs that contain specifically the word Halloween within them. And then there are four songs that either specifically reference Christmas or they are clearly so focused on Christmas that I, I had to put them in the Christmas category. So for Halloween, I put this is Halloween. That's obvious. And then poor Jack, that's kind of when he's sort of lamenting about his experience being the Pumpkin King. And then the finale and the reprise, which is basically the end where him and Sally are singing to each other and sort of talking about kind of the return to normalcy there at the end and mentioning Halloween within that song. And then as far as the songs containing Christmas or overtly referencing Christmas, there's what is, what's this when Jack is, you know, running through Christmas town and then the town meeting song where he's basically explaining how Christmas works. And then Jack's obsession where he is again, dissecting what Christmas is and trying to make sense of it. And then making Christmas, which of course has Christmas in the title. Music can set the tone of a film. Does the weight of the song with the audience matter more to the season classification or is it the volume of songs? So what would you say is the most catchy song from The Nightmare Before Christmas? And it being the most catchy song, does that matter more to your categorization or is it the volume of songs? Well, I know Mitz and I disagree on this one. But I feel that What's This is probably the most famous song from this movie. And the one that I like maybe the most besides Making Christmas. And those are the two Christmas ones. So I'll let Mitz fight me. Fight me, Mitz. You won't. Well, my favorite song is Sally's song. But the, the catchiest song is This is Halloween. By far. And it's, I think that that is the most iconic song from this movie. So... Mm, I, I disagree. I disagree. That doesn't really sway my opinion on the what movie kind of movie it is, though. But, like, realistically, I classify it as a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie, so. So, for me, I guess the two catchiest ones are This is Halloween and What's This? So, you know, not a tiebreaker there, I guess. But the other thing I was thinking about with this is, uh, so, Making Christmas, uh, it's Christmas song. But the way it is, the way it is, the way it sounds, the like tone it uses, the key it's in, like it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a Christmas song. It's very like making Christmas, make, you know, like it, I don't know. It feels more like a Halloween song more than a Christmas song to me. So I don't know. 
It's true, because this dissection of the songs into categories is based on what reference the lyrics make. But I agree, the tone of Making Christmas is definitely a lot darker than the title Making Christmas would lead you to believe if you'd never heard the song before. Right. For me, I think that I end up casually singing What's This a lot more than This Is Halloween. I It's also a song that I end up just making up whatever lyrics I want to do for whatever I'm doing in the moment. So there's that's a thing that happens as well. So what's this data you speak of? Yeah, let's hear about this sweet, sweet data. Okay, well, I don't I don't want to skip around too much, so I'm going to hang on to the numbers on the music here for a little bit longer. So I'll keep you in suspense, but I promise we'll get back to it soon. Um, but I will share at least what I dissected for the rest of the, this film, the actual content of the film, which is to say that we spend 55 minutes of the film in Halloween Town and about only five minutes in Christmas Town. Uh, as far as my reckoning goes, I thought we spent about 17 minutes of the film actually during Halloween, assuming that I am correct in the idea that their final song is on Halloween night and that Jack is walking kind of into the dawn after that. If it's happening the following day, then I am just outright wrong on that and we don't spend any time on Halloween. But I, I guess my interpretation is that that first section takes place Halloween night. So anyway, to say that 17 minutes, if I am correct in that, take place on Halloween, the last 26 minutes take place on Christmas Eve slash Christmas, and 33 minutes of the film take place during November and December. As far as main characters go, nearly all main characters are from Halloween Town, and the only speaking role for a Christmas Town character is for Santa Claus. And uh, so I guess I wanted to see what you thought about that dissection of the movie by the numbers, if any of those sways you, if any of that sways you in one direction or another. That's kind of my main sticking point with why I think that it is Christmas, because uh, I do think you're right that the just the very beginning of the film is taking place Halloween night and maybe the day after, but that's sort of just the like the introduction of the film is that everything else is, you know, Jack discovers Christmas Town. He likes Christmas. He tries to explain Christmas to everybody so that they kind of get the idea of what it is. And then he decides that he wants to take it over. And then, uh, you know, it's all the preparing and making the toys or the scary things up to Christmas. And then actually flying as reindeer and delivering gifts house to house on Christmas Eve. So that's kind of where, where I think that it really leans heavily towards being more of a Christmas movie. I think I I see all that the point to all that, and I guess uh, I I'm not disagreeing with it by any means. I guess where it's just so it is like I I don't know. I'm gonna kind of I guess think through this while I'm talking through it. So hopefully it makes some sense. But like it is like kind of Halloween characters finding Christmas, so to speak. But they're not quite catching the right spirit of it for the most part except for maybe jack and even that is a little questionable so i guess uh, and maybe i'm wrong on that maybe i'm misinterpreting uh, but i guess 
that's maybe for me why it's still like a l- just barely on the scales of Halloween because it's it's like it is Halloween characters, you know, finding Christmas, but they're ma- they're finding this kind of grotesque or like slightly askew or I don't know perverted version of Hall- or of Christmas. Um, so I guess that, that it's more like making Christmas more like Halloween. It, it seems to be what they're trying to do more so than the opposite, I guess. That also brings up the question that I, I asked uh, Mitz while we were watching this. And I said, do you think that Jack sort of intended for the kids and everybody to be getting these sort of scary gifts or gifts from them or do you think that he was sort of just trusting that people would that people kind of got the idea of what christmas was about and they were going to give things that were going to make people happy because obviously he was delivering the gifts but it felt like he didn't really see all of them that much i mean the one that i can think of is he sees like the hat and he makes it a bat hat and he doesn't like see any problem with that or see that that would mess anybody up so maybe it's sort of that he was intending for people to have joy, but maybe he didn't fully understand how to give joy either. Yeah, it's like buying a present for someone you don't know, so the present you end up buying them is inevitably filtered through what you would want to get, and maybe that sucks for someone else, and maybe Jack's sitting like, Bat Hat, that's what I would want. Severed head, that's what I want. Little vampire doll floating around chasing me. That would bring joy to me, so why not? Do you think that Christmas having a personification in Santa Claus makes it easier to classify a movie as a Christmas movie than a Halloween film where there really isn't a singular icon that personifies the holiday? I mean, having the man himself in the movie definitely doesn't hurt for it being categorized as Christmas. (laughs) I mean, you got friggin' Santa Claus in it, so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's like shorthand for this is a Christmas movie, and it just gets right to the point of that. Do you think that Jack ends up representing Halloween as strongly as Santa represents Christmas in terms of the film, or just the sheer fact that the film is the only place that he exists, it's never going to have the same weight. I mean, there's no way that Jack is ever going to be more iconic than Santa Claus, by any means. I mean, he's definitely very iconic at this point uh, and seeped into pop culture, but, you know, Santa Claus has recognized the world round. And then in terms of the movie, even, he is supposed to be, you know, what Santa is to Christmas. He's supposed to be what you know that to halloween but even just in terms of the movie he doesn't even like get a grip on that till maybe the very end and like he's trying to act like somebody else you you would never well, at least i can't i guess imagine santa like not understanding who he is or, or supposed to be maybe that's not fair either but anyways yeah i guess yeah. yeah, because I was trying to think of what this film would be like if it was, like, flip-flapped. And, like, Santa and the elves were had just discovered Halloween Town and were now going to go host their own Halloween, take over Halloween. 
And would that be a Halloween movie or would it still be a Christmas movie because Santa and the elves are so iconic that it almost like takes over the theme of the movie? It probably would end up still being both, but like I think Santa being so iconic does play a big role in swaying the film. Do you think that the whole final act taking place on Christmas Eve and Christmas ends up finishing the film with a tone that's more Christmassy than Halloween. Honestly, I felt the end of the film was rushed. So yes, but it could have been more so because I felt like the end of the movie was more, not really even about Christmas anymore. It was just kind of about Jack finding himself or like feeling happy in who he is. Yeah. I I agree with Mitz on that, and then but then also I think it moved the final act moved towards that whole this Christmas movie thing is where we gotta find a lesson at the end, and uh, you know Jack discovers that he does have happiness in where he is, and he kind of found himself. Uh, So I think not only does the movie taking place at that time lend it towards being Christmas, but also has that sort of wholesome kind of message that it leads up to also that I feel is more of a staple of Christmas movies. I guess on the note of it, the end feeling a little rushed, like I, I, I did feel that too this last time watching it. I hadn't really thought about it before, but like, I don't know. It feels like the catalyst for him changing his mind or being like, oh, well, it's okay. I can be uh, the Halloween, the king of Halloween is like him getting shot out of the sky by AA guns. It didn't quite feel his, I don't know, come to terms with things didn't quite feel earned, I guess. It's like, oh, people shot me out of the sky because I tried to be Santa. I guess I'll go back to being the king of Halloween and I like it now. Yeah, I agree that there is kind of a tacked-on quality to that. And I enjoy watching the fight with Oogie Boogie and all of that and him, you know, deciding that he is who he is. But yeah, it does feel a little bit like a real quick resolution to all of that. At least for me looking at the film, I guess part of the reason why I feel like it's more of a Halloween film than a Christmas film is a lot of what Joe had already mentioned is the idea of there are Christmas elements there, but we spend so much time with Halloween town characters, with Halloween elements in visual aesthetic of Halloween that, or at least a, a stand-in for a visual aesthetic of Halloween with the color palette famously for Halloween town being white, black, and orange, and that's it. I think that that ends up coming across more to me over the course of the whole film. I guess, than the Christmas elements, which, I mean, clearly it's there and it's like a close second, but I guess the overall aesthetic of the film feels more Halloween than Christmas to me. Yeah, if you're going purely on the aesthetics of the film, definitely, I think, the imagery is usually all Halloween and then the even the imagery that's Christmas is like this skewed version of Christmas. So I I think aesthetically, definitely Halloween is more dominant. 
All right, should we get into how the movie's been received and generally how the public seems to view it based on a few metrics? Yes. Give me the numbers. I would like to wait. Good. You are welcome to do that. (laughs) And now you have done so. So here we go. Uh, Google search trends. So this movie gets a bump every October and also a bump in searches every December, but the bump in October is consistently higher than the December bump. You get a similar search trend result when you look at the searches on Wikipedia, where again, there's a bump in October and December, but it's higher in October. So there's that side of it as far as searches go. Uh, The most listened to song on Spotify for this is This is Halloween with 100 million plays. The next most listened to song for this movie is What's This with 50 million plays. Also of note is that there is a Marilyn Manson cover of This is Halloween, which currently holds 64 million plays. So in terms of what song do people view as the most popular from this movie, it appears to be This is Halloween in terms of what gets listened to most anyway. And this is, again, on Spotify, so for all I know, on Apple, maybe those numbers are entirely skewed, but my guess is they're probably probably similar in breakdown. Uh, the other thing that I was looking at is I tried to run a poll through our Instagram, which we famously had one response to, and the response was that it was a Thanksgiving movie, so very <laughs> helpful. <laughs> but what I ended up doing instead is I went and I looked at every poll that I could find online where anyone gave any kind of responses to whether they thought this was a Halloween or a Christmas movie. And that involved uh, Rotten Tomatoes website, uh, radio stations websites, newspapers, uh, college and high school websites, and then a hell of a lot of Twitter polls. So if you ever did a Twitter poll in the last say, three years on whether this is Halloween or Christmas, I probably tallied your numbers looking back through this. So here's what that comes out at, and it is as unhelpful as you might expect. There were about 11,000 total responses across all of these. Now, obviously, I have no way of guaranteeing if any of them had voted multiple times or if there's crossovers, so take that for what it's worth. 49.9% voted that it was a Halloween movie, and 48.24% voted that it was a Christmas movie. Not all the polls, but some of them had the option to fill in both. That was responded 1.85% of the time. However, of the polls that did feature a both option, that was the option that was chosen 41.92% of the time, and then 35% was Halloween and 21% was Christmas. So... It's uh, pretty much a dead heat, but most people went for the both option if they had it available. Or at least the majority went to both if they had that option available. That's uh, funny to me how like on the nose it is for just us. Like We were 50-50, and it is so damn close to 50-50. It's crazy. And then other random trivia is... Uh, so one of the things that Matt and I have mentioned a few times is that our sister is crazy about this movie. It's like her favorite movie. and uh, Or at least I believe it's her favorite movie. If she listens to this, she can contradict me and maybe slap me. Go ahead. It's up to you. But anyway, she did supply this also interesting trivia is that she used to work at Claire's, uh, which for those of you that don't live in the United States, it's kind of a 
jewelry slash, uh, I don't know, not exactly just a jewelry store, but it's a jewelry store for kind of young women. And uh, they would bring out Halloween merchandise and as well as Nightmare Before Christmas merchandise in October. And as soon as October was over, all the Halloween stuff would go on sale. But the Nightmare Before Christmas stuff would stay at full price all the way through till January. So at least as far as Claire's was concerned, her bit of trivia was that, yeah, they still saw it as worth having everything at full price, at least through the entire fall season, fall winter season. Uh, the next thing I wanted to see is uh, if anyone did any sort of polls with family and friends and what their results were. Cause I know Mitch, you were talking, maybe you'd check with your students and we we're going to see Matt, what your kids said, nieces and nephews for Joe. So uh, what, what responses did people get when they checked with family and friends and kiddos? So I asked my sister and her family uh, and they, they had seen it and they felt like it was a Halloween movie. I guess they pretty, they don't really watch it around Christmas at all. Um, but I don't think it's one of their family favorites either. So I don't know. I'm not sure how much weight that, that one holds. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I forgot to ask. So <laughs> You're going to have to cut me out of this part. I'll ask my girlfriend, Mitz. Hey, Mitz, what did you uh, think this movie was? Christmas. Okay, yeah. My girlfriend said Christmas. Um, okay. But uh, <laughs> tradition with my family is that we always watch this for Halloween. And that's just because, like I said before, there's so many other Christmas movies and just not a lot of like family-friendly Halloween movies. So, Checking with our sister... Uh, she was adamant that it was both. Um, so, you know, that's what she went with. Uh, the rest of her family, niece and nephew and uh, her husband, all said that it was a Christmas movie. And uh, that was generally because it seemed to be Christmas-themed and focused more on the Christmas holiday and understanding the Christmas holiday. So that's kind of where they came at for that. So uh, my next question would be, can a film become a Halloween or Christmas film based on tradition over time? We did talk about this a bit with Die Hard and the idea that what we think of as being associated with a holiday really depends on the society's traditions and that those traditions can change and evolve over time. And there's really, in some ways, arbitrary to associate them. So I guess my question is if you guys feel like that's the case. So can a film become a Halloween or Christmas film based on tradition over time, or does it still have to hit certain metrics for that really to work? I think I have to answer that yes, it can, uh, because I do think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, despite content-wise really not really being a Christmas movie. But yeah, I think that's the only thing that kind of saves Die Hard from being a Christmas movie is that we've accepted it as such. Yeah, Die Hard obviously is the proof in the pudding of that one that the way that the world perceives something definitely plays a part in how it's categorized. Pass. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> you can okay. cut me out again. <laughs> nope, it's Stan. Your pass is going to be in there for everyone to hear. No! <laughs> our 
six audience members will hear that. Hey, everybody. Love all six <laughs> of you. One of you might be me. Oh yeah. Well, and so I guess my next question is, uh, do you feel like there is any sort of compelling evidence that sort of pushed you over the edge one way or the other? Were you kind of surprised to hear anything that you found out? I wasn't surprised, I guess. It was about what I expected from the people that I asked. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly what I expected, and I agree with it being both. So yeah, despite our best efforts, it's not very conclusive because we broke down 50-50 and then all of us leaning towards both if that's given the option. But I think at the same time, that's kind of the fun of a movie like this is it's fun to have that debate and it's fun to have that discussion. But I'm not here to tell anybody who comes up and says that it's one thing or the other that they're wrong. I, I would be willing to entertain their answer if they tell, told me it was an Easter movie because the Easter Bunny was in it. I'd at least have that discussion. But yeah, I, I definitely got to lean Halloween just looking at it. The creator's intent and the amount of time spent in Halloween Town and, uh, you know, what songs kind of been popular from it. I guess just all those sort of things added up to me a little bit more towards that idea. But I agree that it's not conclusive and it's still me sort of putting my own experience thumb on the scale in terms of which way I fell on this. Well, and we've said, you know, in several different ways, like that's part that's part of the magic of this movie is that it can be both and that it's one of the one of a few like holiday related movies that you can span over several holidays and like Christmas movies you can kind of only really watch in December, but you know, this one has a much broader acceptable scope to its uh, viewing. While we're talking about the Easter Bunny, I want to speak directly to Tim Burton and company right now. Do it. I know he's listening. He's um, one of the six. Why were there no more Jack Skellington movies of him exploring these other worlds? There aren't enough Easter and Thanksgiving movies out there, and I think there should be. And frankly, I think that the responsibility lies with you, Tim. And Jack. Mr. Skellington. I was going to say, I actually did see some interviews where he talked a little bit about that, and I don't have an exact quote, mind you, but I think the general thought process, at least on his side, that he presented was that he kind of wanted it to be a more timeless, singular thing and thought that making sequels to it would muddy the waters of that possibility. Um, as far as Henry Selick is concerned, he said that if Tim comes up with a script that is good enough, he'd happily make another film. So at least the director for this movie is on board to do another if Tim ever comes to him with an idea. Like, well, we got a director and a concept, but who's going to actually write it? <laughs> the fans. Everyone and no one. Yeah, that's such a crazy story to me. I think that Tim and Guillermo del Toro and maybe Danny Elfman should all like get together or Henry Selleck also and just like put their heads together and create something amazing because uh, I just saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio for Netflix that was a stop motion and he nailed it and so I just think all of them have that kind of similar 
sort of creepy, whimsical style, and all of them have that stop motion experience, it could really be something special, you know? That would be pretty cool. They could create a stop motion universe. Everybody's doing universes. You could do the, the the Jack Skeleton multiverse. Well, I mean, he's already got the multiverse kind of there with all these doors that lead to different worlds. Yeah, it's all there. It's there. I mean, you and can... Then, Nick Fury like, all comes you have in. to do is make it a thing where one, you know, I, I don't know. I just think the world needs more holiday movies that aren't Christmas or Halloween. And maybe the worlds are under attack and the only one who could save them is Jack and Sally. You could play the uh, PlayStation 2 game, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Oogie Boogie's Revenge. Ooh. Sounds interesting. I have not played that, but I have heard of it. I haven't played it either. Does Oogie Boogie have a fat ass in that at all, do you think? Or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be that kind of game. You might be looking elsewhere on the dark corners of the web for what you're looking for. <laughs> Making XXXmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. so we've talked a lot this the first part of season two about children's horror and stuff that revolved around that kind of tone so i don't want to belabor a lot of the same kinds of points that we've made i did want to touch on whether or not we feel like this movie is horror but i don't necessarily feel like we need to really hit the conversation as hard but I did want to see where does everybody stand? Is this movie horror or not? Mm, I I struggled with this question a little bit because I can see it as a children's horror movie. I don't I think that's what it would be if it is, but I I fell on the side of no, it's not. And um well, I'll I'll let everybody else say their votes and then we can get into it. Yeah, I don't think this is horror. Not horror. I think not horror as well. And my brief reasoning is that um, I feel like even in a children's horror, the things that make it horror are meant to be evil and bad. And in this movie, even though the Halloween Town characters are creepy and, you know, dark and mysterious and they like dark creepy things they're they're genuinely like well-meaning and good people they're just a little bit odd so they're not like intending harm or horror on anybody well they're intending horror but in a well-meaning way (laughs) i agree i wasn't even willing to label this in my personal opinion as children's horror I think that it plays with a lot of those tropes and I can understand how some of those things might be creepy and a little bit frightening. Um, if you're a small child or, you know, a child at all, but I think ultimately it's kind of a, uh, it's, how did I, how did I put this in another place? I was thinking it's almost like it's, it's proto horror. It's, it plays with those concepts in a way that doesn't add up to horror itself, but presents it to 
and develops a taste for it in a young audience who is being introduced to it in sort of a safe environment. So I think that's kind of its place. It's It gets right up to the door of horror, but intentionally keeps that door closed, but shows it. So it's basically like taking you out into the the forest there and showing you the Halloween town door, but then allowing you to later in life open it and go in. Yeah, and just doesn't quite take it. I mean, children's horror, I think, just takes it a, a step or two further, but this this one chooses not to take those steps. And kind of related to what Mitz said, I had a quote here from Henry Selleck where he said, um, one of our criteria was to make the Halloween characters look really scary, though they weren't bad people except for Oogie Boogie, and even with him, it was just his nature to be voracious. When Tim was a lad, he watched a lot of films like the original Frankenstein or The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Those creatures weren't inherently bad, they were just misunderstood, and people were terrified of them and tried to destroy them. Tim had sympathy for them, and it's something he wanted to carry through to the denizens of Halloween Town. Okay, so there's the end of that quote. And I think that we've talked about that before, is the idea of if you make the monsters in your film, if it's a creature feature, too sympathetic, then it ends up taking away from the horror aspect of it. And so I feel like if I'm not getting you wrong, Mitz, that's kind of what you're saying. And that's what I felt about it anyway, is, yeah, looking... They tried to make the characters very relatable and sort of the lovable outcasts people that you can understand that you were happy to see no one that they wanted you to be frightened of or tried to have you be frightened of except for with the exception of oogie boogie maybe i don't know is that kind of where you guys all weigh in on at least the presentation of the halloween town characters yeah exactly i concur yeah the the other thing um that i that i was thinking about with this is it kind of has an aspect of uh, there's not a lot of I guess victims per se. I mean, kind of Santa Claus he gets kidnapped and threatened and that kind of thing. But kind of the it feels it has a little bit of a like Freddy versus Jason aspect to it. Maybe that's not a fair uh, comparison, but it's sort of a like horror character versus horror character that turns out to be a thing that's not horror of. Uh, a viewing that's not horror it's you know and i may uh maybe that's not a good comparison because i actually haven't seen that movie but uh but it's kind of like maybe that turns into more of an action movie but like this is more of a like you've got two negatives that equal something else um because you get like jack versus oogie boogie and it's like well you know jack's your hero but he's also like supposed to be the like the pumpkin king the you know the He's supposed to be coming from the horror side of things versus a horror side of things as well. Um, so I don't know. I guess that takes away from, for me personally, that took away from the horror aspect of it to just have it kind of be be like that. I guess if that makes any sense, maybe I'm just rambling. No, I think that makes sense. I think I get the gist of what you're saying with that. I think the other side of it, too, along with that, the idea of them kind of being muted as far as their ability to feel like horror characters, the other thing that you end up with is that there aren't, at least to me, real stakes for any of the characters. Because the character that the characters that seem most in danger 
at all during the film to me end up being Sally and Santa Claus at the end from Oogie Boogie. And just there was no way in hell they were going to kill Santa. So, of course, I wasn't worried about that. And uh, maybe Sally being burnt, maybe that would take care of it. But this is a character that we've watched take off her hands, her arm and her leg during the course of this film, survive a huge fall. Uh, I just, you know, I didn't really, I don't know if there's anyone watching who really bought the idea that she was going to die. Maybe if this is, you know, if you're younger and this is one of the first types of movies that you're seeing, maybe you thought that there was, but at least as an adult, even if you were seeing this for the first time, I think you'd have to sit there and say like, there's nothing that's going to happen to her, obviously. And then same for, for Jack, you've got those moments in Oogie Boogie's sort of casino room where they've got guns and they're going to shoot him and there's knives swinging and they're going to cut him down. But then I just watched him five, ten minutes earlier get shot down by, you know, missiles. And the worst thing that happened is I guess he was knocked out for a second and his dog had to bring his jaw back, which he just popped back on. <laughs> and, and his clothes were in rags. So, I mean, like, I didn't think... The stakes are very low. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I will mention, though, is that... So I also pulled kind of my nieces and nephews and sister whether they thought this was horror. And so I got some interesting responses on that. Is uh, My sister described as... Honestly, all of them described what we've been talking about and calling children's horror. So I think that just all in different forms because my sister called it family-friendly horror and uh my nephew he'd mentioned oogie boogie's death as probably a more horrific moment and it having sort of those tim burton dark themes to them uh my niece talked about the idea that uh she thought again it was it was horror for kids or near horror for kids and that this was less horrific than Coraline. And that Coraline was definitely more of a horror movie than this movie was, one of the things she mentioned. And then my sister also, she happens to be a teacher, so she happened to mention uh, that her students knew that she liked this movie a lot, but they brought up things that they thought scared them, which was the fight with Oogie Boogie, uh, that the kids were scared of the toys that they were being delivered by Jack, and then uh, that the stop motion, they also mentioned that they found the stop motion a bit unsettling. So what are the things that you guys thought was the most horror-themed aspects of this film? Um, for me, again, just the aesthetics of the film, the stop motion, the dark color schemes, the morbid jokes like um, Sally trying to kill her doctor caretaker guy and some of the dissonant music for me. But none of those things really, like, are horror. They're just creepy. Well, Sally trying to kill someone might be a little bit horror. Let's... I, I, I admit that. And also, Oogie Boogie trying to kill people is also a little bit horror. I was just going to say, well, even Sally trying to kill uh, the doctor guy, it's like, well, you've poisoned me three times before. And it's like, that, for me, lends it more to the, like, yeah, okay, these characters are immortal, basically. Like, you know, she poisons him and he falls asleep and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, anyways. I was going to say, I think that the film is more morbid than it is horrific. Uh, it's like, 
if anybody's ever seen like Halloween Town or something like that, or it's like it's not scary, it's just like morbid and the even like the scary characters don't aren't really scary. They're just like, okay, this guy has an axe in his head, but he's still funny and he like rolls his eyeballs and makes comedic action. It's like it's almost like the Adams family. That's like how this is. Like there's this kind of genre of horror that's like not actually horror it's just morbid comedy and that's kind of what this was for me more than anything so i didn't really think there were any horror elements yeah it's it's not aiming for horror it's aiming for spooky if maybe that makes sense as a division at least it does in my head i guess yeah, like the the spooky morbidity kind of thing where, you know, blacks and grays and those kind of color schemes and stuff like that. It's like, it's almost like there's horror where people die and there's blood and gore. And then there's uh, like Halloween decoration horror. It's almost like there's this other kind of subgenre that it's like walking through the decoration section of a Walmart or a dollar store and this is what horror looks like kind of a thing you know what I mean I don't know if I'm explaining that well but yeah yeah I would agree with that I I would say that that's kind of in the thing that would describe to me what makes something a Halloween movie whether or not it's horror it depends on what other other elements you add to it but there's that general sort of spooky fun safe atmosphere where it's not meant to scare you for long it's mostly meant to just kind of bring you joy in the same way that christmas does like you're supposed to have sort of a happy fun warm vibe with it you know like you you see the skeleton hanging from the tree and and you have a good smile about it and a laugh about it and then you go home and you have some apple cider you're not supposed to wake up that night thinking about the skeleton coming after you and killing you that's not its purpose and that's what this movie sort of it inhabits that same space to me where it's supposed to be fun you're supposed to smile at the axe in the head you're supposed to smile at the clown taking his face off you're supposed to smile at these things and enjoy them and have kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling. You're not supposed to be up that night scared about anything that you saw here. Yeah, that's where it's like, it's like the set decoration. It's set decoration for horror, but not horror. I guess the only thing that maybe... Uh, so I guess there's like Oogie Boogie's kind of, I guess, death scene when he gets unraveled and uh you know gets it, it turns out he's just like a bunch of bugs underneath is kind of a little disturbing and like i guess if you if it because it's a children's movie that's you know he was a sack with bugs in it but you know in an, in a horror movie he would have like had his you know skin peeled off and like his flesh would have like wriggled away um but i guess that imagery of that is a little disturbing and maybe touches on the idea of horror but i think maybe that's the only thing in this movie for me that got close to that yeah that seems to be the thing most people cited is the oogie boogie's death particularly of the oogie boogie oogie boogie fight man i am tripping over that word anyway yeah that's that was i was gonna agree with that the only thing that maybe has a little bit of horror is Oogie Boogie's 
little death scene with the bugs. I could see that um, being like having a place in the movie Coraline, for example. I could see that death fitting into that movie. Yeah, even that is like it, it's children's horror at best. Uh, or at its most most horror, I guess, just because it's like it's still happening to the bad guy. Yeah, that's that's true. That's something I was kind of thinking too. Is again, it's happening to the thing that's scary, and I guess at least in comparison to Henry Selleck's other film, Coraline. Looking at that, there are children that did die in that film, albeit off screen, and then if the other YB was indeed a child we really don't know he too died and there was a real chance of Coraline dying at least in terms of the plot you know whether or not you as a viewer felt like that was a real possibility that's up to you but just the stakes are so much lower in this that I yeah it just it doesn't come off that way and then Tim Burton's overall tone of wanting you to relate to the spooky thing to understand the spooky thing to identify with the spooky thing i feel like even without directing this film uh that aspect is all over this so i just yeah i don't think other that's why i think why everyone references oogie boogie because he's the only spooky character in the film that you're not meant to relate to because you really are meant to relate to all the other characters the other random anecdote that i will share is that our Matt and I's sister, she had a Nightmare Before Christmas themed wedding. And so she brought up that a bunch of people did ask her why she would have a horror themed wedding. So at least the people that came to her wedding thought that Nightmare Before Christmas was horror enough to call it a horror theme. So <laughs> there's kind of a, a fun bit of trivia. Well, they're obviously dumb, so just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, the other thing as far as reception goes, I did already mention that we get the bump on this movie every October. And then uh, I guess I figured I'd finish out whether or not it's horror or not with uh, just how it ends up getting tagged in various streaming services, since we usually run those numbers. Um, but there was nine services that called it animation, seven that called it family, six that called it fantasy, four that called it kids movie, three that called it musical, uh, one for all of the following, one that was labeled as comedy, one is adventure, one is action, one is children, one is dark fantasy, one as seasonal, one is holiday, and then also Prime has honestly what seems to be a meaningless category that's labeled arts, entertainment, and culture, which contains things like Frozen, Walk the Line, and Studio 666, the Foo Fighters horror movie. So that's pretty much worthless. And my all-time favorite meta tag that i found on any streaming service was on voodoo in which they labeled this as other <laughs> thanks voodoo very helpful oh thanks yeah like it has christmas in the name you couldn't even like 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 you couldn't even label it holiday or something <laughs> there's so there's so many non-committal categories here like animation and even like seasonal and holiday like they, it's like they didn't want to call it christmas or halloween so they're just like it's a holiday movie but you pick which holiday i don't know it's interesting 
Yeah, that it was labeled seasonal and holiday, but not Halloween or Christmas, I found conspicuous. Also, just, I guess, in some mild defense of voodoo, they didn't label it just other. They also labeled it as comedy, fantasy, family, and animation. But I just, at that point, why did you add the other tag? It's worthless. Yeah. All right. I know we didn't go as in-depth on the horror analysis as we often do, but hopefully it was still enjoyable to listen to overall. But okay. I do have one more controversial possibly question about this movie because I do want to touch on it. The romance in this film always feels a little bit off balance to me because it feels a bit one-sided until you get to that kind of final act moment. Um, I guess, do you guys see this as a romance? Do you like the romance aspect of it? The only thing that makes it believable for me is the belief that there was more going on between them before the movie even started. I guess that's the thought that I have about it. Because they act like they're old friends, so. Yeah, I think the vibe that I get is more that they are close friends rather than romantically interested in each other. That's where I'm at. Yeah, uh, I don't know. And I think Sally's Sally's a more uh, an interesting character that I think deserves a little more credit. Or maybe she does get plenty of credit, I guess. But I guess when, it, when I think of Nightmare Before Christmas, the first thing I've thought of traditionally is Jack, or the first character I think of is Jack. But I guess on this last viewing, I think she's has more depth to her. Um, and I think she's an interesting character but as far as the love story goes then yeah i I guess it it doesn't it does feel like they're more kind of friends like you said matt and like or maybe you know sally's been wanting this for longer but that's just where the level is at and jack's kind of oblivious to it uh i don't know it doesn't maybe quite feel quite right to me i guess here's here's my the nightmare before Christmas hot take. <laughs> so here comes I, all right, this isn't the hot take. This is just adjacent to it. Is that I think Sally's the best character. I think that she's, she's the most complex sort of fleshed out, interesting character to me. And then the hot take side of it is that I feel like in a way she's basically waiting for this hot mess, man, child of a guy to grow up so that they can finally have the relationship that she's adult enough for, but he's not yet. So to me, that's the romance side of it, is is her basically being like, I like this guy, but he is not good enough for me yet. He needs to figure his stuff out first. I think that works. <laughs> Makes sense to me. And even at the end of it, I'm not sure if Jack's there yet. So hopefully he figures himself out. I don't know. I guess there's a young adult book sequel to this as well. That's called uh, something along the lines of the Pumpkin Queen where Sally's the main character. So I don't know. Maybe that book's like, yeah, Jack figured it out. He's 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 good now. And they're both good now. But he really needed to figure stuff out first. Well, thank you for joining us on our Christmas-themed episode of Is It Horror, where we discussed more of whether or not The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie. So hopefully you enjoyed sort of our our sequel to the, uh, our soft sequel to the Is It Christmas episode that we did last year. 
Uh, we are going to be taking a two-week break instead of a single-week break like we normally do. So the next episode will be on January 13th. And for that one, we are going to be talking about Black Swan. So uh, join us back here for that. And uh, we hope that you have happy and safe holidays, whatever holiday you celebrate, as well as a happy and safe new year. And uh, we hope you'll join us next year. So take care. I have been Steve. I'm Joe. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I'm Matt. And I'm Mitz. Happy Halloween. <laughs> this is Christmas. This is Christmas. No? La 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 la. <laughs> What's Bye. this? It's a podcast. What's this the podcast? Where we just look at a thing and ask what it is. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes, or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at IsItHorrorPod, or you can email us at IsItHorrorPodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is It Horror?